The Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement, and publishing their books, such as The Hill, a memoir of war in Helmand Province by Aaron Kirk. The Hill is an account of the tragedy of war, the deeply personal experience of combat, and the raw, unfiltered brutality of lower enlisted Marine Corps life. The book follows Aaron Kirk's odyssey from civilian to Marine and back again, focusing on his time as an infantry squad leader in Garmsir Helmand Province during the height of the Afghanistan troop surge. To find out more about that book, to purchase that book, and see all the other lines of effort going on at Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. And I thank Second Mission Foundation for being a sponsor of this episode. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, informative content. So surf the pages of Havoc Journal. Read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. So go check it out, HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest today was Ben Bueller Garcia. Um, if you guys have listened to the show for long enough, you'll remember that he was on once before, back when we were the weekly Havoc and doing a roundtable discussion. But I wanted to walk you through my thought process in inviting Ben on the show. Ben is the first non-veteran that we've had on the show since we rebranded as Profiles and Havoc. And I kind of wanted to walk you through why that was and why I wanted to invite him on the show. Because you might be wondering, and I think also it's worthwhile. I, I like my reasons, and I, and I kind of want to talk about them. Um, ben, as many of you know, hosts American Warrior Radio uh, out in Tucson, Arizona, and broadcasts live as a radio show out there and then he podcasts it after the fact about a week later on in many other cities and we talk about that in the show and we get into a lot of granular details about podcasting and radio work and and all that but i was trying to think um when uh, when i first invited him on the show i was like why did i why did i invite him on the show and i kind of checked myself i was like am i just being a cutthroat capitalist am i just trying to do a quid pro quo because he'd had me on american warrior radio and he's a great host um i you had a great time talking to him and he's you know the second that you talked to him on american warrior radio you're in good hands um so i really appreciated that so it obviously seemed like the right thing to do to turn around and invite him on but i was like i don't think that's really the reason i'm inviting him on the show and i think what it is is that with all the well-publicized problems that we have in this country and with all the neuroticism that we have in this country, 
finding a civilian who is not just willing, but is dedicated so much of his life to understanding the veteran experience and kind of reaffirming the American narrative, you know, America's narrative about itself is incredibly valuable right now. Um, You know, when we kind of look at so much of the hybrid warfare that we see today, the psychological operations kind of being conducted on us from different nefarious entities, um, you know, those that kind of strengthen the spine of the American people and of veterans and not, um, you know, uh, unfairly, not, not myth-making, but, but just letting veterans speak for themselves and in all their contrasting views and all their idiosyncrasies, but, um, but honoring them enough to be selfless and being selfless enough to step out of the way and let them talk and give them a platform to speak their stories is, I think, an incredibly important job and one that has a lot of good second and third order effects um, for us as Americans. So um, there are other reasons as well, but, but that, that was really the big thing I wanted to, to kind of socialize with you guys before we dove into the episode. Um, and don't worry, we do get into why Ben didn't serve, um, which is interesting and funny in its own way. And I think like many folks, a lot of it just has to do with timing. But um, anyway, it's a great episode. I was thrilled Ben could come on. Uh, you just don't get more of a pro than Ben Bueller Garcia. This is Ben Bueller Garcia's profile in Havoc. Well, Ben, welcome back to the show. What? <laughs> I, I what an honor! After one appearance, I thought I'd never be invited back. You are part of an elite uh, group of people. Um, mm-hmm. We'll have to send you the golden jacket. Yeah, man, I'm I'm thrilled to have you back on, and I'm being pretty transparent about my reasons for wanting to talk to you. Um, you know, it's since I started doing this show, and and we started kind of doing our own veteran advocacy and, and kind of telling people stories and finding out more about folks in the community. I have a deep appreciation for what you've built and, you know, how you've done it and the amount of work that goes into doing that. And uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I just wanted to give you a chance to actually be under the spotlight yourself. Cause I think that's pretty noble and selfless work. And, um, yeah, I mean that. That I, I guess my my first question is, besides complimenting you, is why? What do you get out of this? What's in it for you? Well, really, I, I never served in the military, and so I've always felt that because of that, it's my duty to support those who do, and and the first responder communities as well. Um, you know, Chris, I I I kind of. I grew up, my folks are missionaries. So we, we moved around quite a bit, spent a lot of time overseas. I I've witnessed what, uh, you know, if I could be King for a day, I would require every young person in the U S to spend a couple of years overseas anywhere, Canada, even just to see how good we have it in this country. And, um, 
when my last stop was in a small town up on the border of Arizona and New Mexico, mostly ranching forestry community. And there weren't a lot of opportunities for, for young people after high school. Now I, I had planned to go to college anyway. That's kind of just what we did in our family. But um, because it was a smaller community, the, the military recruiters worked that area pretty hard. Mm. And I literally before they made the visit. I just read a book or done a book report on a, a book called 1000 destroyed that described the fourth fighter group in world war II. And so I decided I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Well, my ASVAB scores were, were pretty good, but I also wore glasses. So the air force recruiters like, no, nope, not going to be a pilot. I want you to be an engineer. And I'm thinking, Oh, hell no. That sounds pretty damn boring. So I never joined the military, but I went off to the, to college with the intent of going into law enforcement. because I still wanted to serve. And ben, when, when was this? What years were these? Oh, years see, we that's a question we don't ask. Oh, okay. So there's let's the left-right limits. I just ran into the guardrail. It was I uh, where see, it was. Ought six? No, uh, this is 1979. Okay. When, when so I there was really no wars going on. There was no like, well, you know. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because that my group, I, I graduated from high school when I was 17. And so my freshman year of college, when I turned 18, our group was the first group when President Carter reinstated draft registration. So I first thing I did when I turned 18, I went down and registered to vote and registered for the draft. Well, shortly thereafter, the Iranians took over our embassy. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. But uh, that that obviously never got to that point. Right. But um, as far as law enforcement, I spent about my third year of college, I'd done a lot of ride-alongs. I volunteered for two years on the graveyard shift out of the county jail. And what that taught me, Chris, that was uh, giving me a gun and a badge would be a terrible idea because my threshold for bad guys doing stupid things was way too low. So um, didn't do that. Uh, and that's you know way around the barn describing where I just, I feel that as one searches for their place where they can serve, uh, I just uh, happened to stumble across American Warrior Radio and that's my service, I guess. Did you have a temper when you were doing law enforcement? I, I, I don't have a temper. I'm generally just a pretty calm guy, but I guess it's more of a frustration that I, I thought more so that I would burn out so fast. Um, just kind of seeing that out there and not feeling, um, I don't know. That's been a long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, back before the interwebs even um, and Zoom. But yeah. really, the, the American Warrior Radio, it, I, and I hear a lot of veterans, well, active duty today, when they talk about veterans from previous generations, you know, talk about how they're standing on the shoulders of, of those giants. And, and American Warrior Radio is the same story. I, the, the gentleman that founded the program was a, a guy by the name of Dave Sitton, and he was the local media icon here. He broadcasted the local college games, was very active, very generous in, in the community. And Dave had come to the University of Arizona to play on a baseball scholarship with the plan of joining the Marines when he graduated. Well, he got hurt sufficiently, badly enough playing baseball that the Marines didn't want him anymore. So D Dave was the first one to recognize that huge gap of understanding between the 1% who serve and the 99% of the rest of us. So he founded American Warrior Radio with the mission of helping to bridge that gap of understanding. How did, had, you, how did you meet him? I just, because of, I was active in the community and he knew I was very supportive of military causes and had done a lot of volunteer work and served on several boards. And so it started off where he would approach me for uh, guest ideas and that sort of evolved into, Hey, why don't you come in and sit in on a show with me 
sometime and we'll chat and have some fun. And then Dave ran for Congress. And because of the FCC rules, he asked me to uh, guest host while he was campaigning for Congress. And um, then shortly thereafter, uh, he didn't win the, the campaign, the election. But shortly thereafter, as the story goes, Dave showed up on a Sunday to do the show and the producer said, Dave, you don't look so good. And he said, you know, I don't feel quite right, but I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Well, tomorrow never came. And a young man, 56. And so I just, when that happened, I felt so strongly that about the importance of these messages continuing after Dave's passing, that knowing absolutely nothing about radio, uh, I decided to jump in with both feet. And uh, it's been a on-the-job learning experience since then. When was that? When did you actually take over the show? Uh, well, it'd be nine years ago now, uh, going on our ninth year. And just so people understand it, in my in the radio world, unlike the podcast world, uh, my initial stations, I broker the time. What that means is I go to the station and I write them a check for 54 minutes of airtime. So, you know, a lot of folks will hear like the lawyer or the financial person or whatever, skincare products, you know, the kind of those um, shows on the weekends. Well, in effect, that's what I'm doing. It's just that so happens that my show is about the men and women of the military and first responders. So when I approached the station, they said, yeah, we don't, you know, as long as your check clears, we don't care. But the, the most important question was to go to Dave's family, his his sister and his daughter and say, hey, is it okay with you if I, I carry on, um, you know, his mission? And they, they were fine with it. So that's how I first got started. And, um, you know, I thought it would be easy, but nothing worth doing is. I mean, I learned right off the bat that Dave was such a good guy. Most of the advertising, he was, you know, he was giving a lot of it away and, um, a lot of the folks, the advertisers, at least locally, were, were buying Dave Sitton. They weren't buying American Warrior Radio. And so I thought I would step into an existing successful franchise when I really had to rebuild it from the ground up, which uh, I'm, you know, and I basically subsidized the program out of my own pocket for about three years. I figured that out, how to how to sell, how to package the products, how to, you know, what makes a good advertiser, what doesn't. So, um, and how many years had, had Dave been doing it when you took over? Uh, probably about four. Okay. So that did, yeah. So it should have had that infrastructure you could just fall into. Right. And th that's okay. I'm not complaining. Uh, right, it's just, right. it's been, yeah, I encourage people because one of the, the challenges I see, and uh, you and I have busted each other's chops about this in the past is the difference between podcasting and what I do traditional radio. And people ask me, are you a podcaster? Well, I mean, the, the shows are then podcast, but it starts off on, on the radio, old-fashioned, old-timey radio, uh, using my used East German equipment. Um, so that's that's a, kind of a disconnect to explain to people how you do that. But again, the, the other thing, too, is I, I've got to pay for the show. Um, and someday, maybe even put a little money in my own pocket. That'd be okay, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, because the goals of the show... I mean, seem to be almost a hundred percent selfless. I mean, you're out there, you know, it's none of the focus is on you. You're pushing the message out of really just these individual stories and they could be any number of stories. They could be, you know, something about a, a nonprofit. They could be something about mm -hmm. someone's war service. Um, but it's, it's a very selfless act. And um, yeah, I, I guess my first question of many that that little anecdote kind of raises when you took over for Dave, did you find that 
people now had to buy into Bembular Garcia or were they buying into American Warrior Radio now? Uh I think there's it's pretty easy because American Warrior Radio had already established a brand in Tucson and the local community. And because of my activities in various groups, I already had uh, credibility, okay. with, particularly with the military folks. The The real challenge, I think, early on was getting guests because I hate replays. I, and that's that's why I'm so grateful for you. When you came on, I, when last time you were on, Chris, you came in, with what, like 72 hours notice. Um so I just always trying to get get new new folks on the show. Well, we've got a major Air Force base here in Tucson, so that was easy. But then the risk is I don't want it to be the all Air Force show. Right, right. And so over the years, diversifying the guest list and the really about, I would say, sort of the the flashpoint was about two and a half years into doing the show. I started to get inquiries from movie studios and, and national level publicists and book publishers saying, hey, would you mind having our guest on your show? And I thought, oh, okay, sure. That makes my job yeah. easier. And then yeah. maybe this thing does have some legs. Well, and that makes sense because on that timeline, that was really the first wave. Because if you're talking about like seven years ago, then when people started, mm-hmm. publicists started reaching out to you, that's really the first wave of those GWAT veterans that were really getting their books out and their movies out. Like that seemed like maybe it wasn't even the first, maybe it was the second wave, but it seemed like it was just getting more and more purchase in the public consciousness. So it makes sense that they would be seeking you out. How did you respond to that when suddenly you're getting, you know, Hollywood calling and big book publishers calling? Was it, um, did you see a material growth in the profile of the show or was it kind of, all right, Hey, thanks for stopping by, but you know, we got to keep trudging along here. I, you know, I only had one incident like that in that, well, yeah, I've got some basic rules. One is there's got to be a fit. And it's kind of a joke among other radio hosts at, at my flagship station. And one of them is just, he, he cracks me up, Chris. He, I mean, if he gets an inquiry from a, a publicist that doesn't fit his guest profile, I mean, he roasts them. I mean, he'll send them an email saying, you know, here's my website. You need to read what I'm about. And okay, I'll have your guest on, but it's going to be 55 minutes of hell for them. Or, you know, would you like to reconsider? I mean, this guy's pretty, I don't work that way. But only in one case was there really, so it was a movie, uh, Megan Levy, maybe is about the female, the Marine female dog handler, not, you know, a good film. Yeah. And they wanted to have the, the lead actress on the show. Well, great publicity for us, I see. Yeah. but I looked into her background. She's never supported the military. She doesn't donate to any veterans causes. There was no real connect there. There was no reason for her to appear on American Warrior Radio. So I, I politely declined. Um, no matter who our guest is, there has to be some sort of connection. Now we've had, so it's military veterans, first responders, and then those who support them. So that category are the, the Gary Sinises of the world, the, the Lee Greenwoods. Sure. Um, sure. One of the most surprising guests I ever had was Bo Derek. And um, you think, who, oh, but Bo Derek? Well, she's an honorary Green Beret. Right. She had, her father was a Green Beret in Vietnam. She had for a while a line of uh, products for, for dogs, for animals, like shampoos and stuff like that. Well, she was shipping these things free of charge overseas to, to military handlers that were deployed. So they could keep their dogs healthy and whatnot. So, you know, aha, there's a fit there. And what a joy. She's yeah. very extremely smart. 
Yeah, um, I've heard that. And she didn't she go to Walter Reed and she'd visit regularly with troops oh, yeah. over there? Yeah, yeah. she's she's a, what a peach she is. And so though, you know, the, the, I guess I way around the barn that there has to be a fit. So yeah. I don't mind if it's a a novel, uh, a fictional novel, but if the author is based has has prior service and is basing that on uh, their experiences, then okay, that's that's a good fit. As as long as the book is good, that's one of the things I've I've learned. Uh, being mm. a kind of naive guy in this business, a lot of the radio hosts don't bother to read the book. Yeah, they'll just read the the notes that the publisher sends. Well, I'm not that way. I need to read the the whole book before I agree to have someone on. That's interesting. Are there bona fides that you look for where you go, okay, well, they got referred to me by so and so, and that kind of gives you a heads up that yeah, I could probably book this person, and then I'll read everything after. Or do you just do your due diligence regardless and go, yeah, I I, I need to have 100 percent certainty that this guy's going to work before I have him on the show. You know, I'm very, very cautious about maintaining the integrity of the brand. Yeah. And because I, it's live radio, so there's no room for error. There's no editing. Um, you know, they've got to be real uh, and a good guest. And, you know, what in fact, looking past one of the real challenges I had early on as I was developing my chops as a host was particularly the secret squirrels, the, as I call them, I hope that doesn't insult anybody, but the folks who've really, you know, one was a pararescue uh, guy. And I mean, young kid, I'm maybe early twenties and just a chest full of ribbons. Mm. And I'm asking him about this. And I mean, this, what the stuff, this, this young man has seen and done, but he, his answers were, yes, sir. No, sir. I can't talk about it. And I'm, you know, on the commercial break, I'm like, dude, I got an hour to fill here. You need to sort of stretch it out a little bit. Um, but so, no, they're, they're, they have to be. And what's interesting is I'm one thing, Chris, I, I not intentionally, but I found that I learned something from every interview, even though I'm a civilian. And one of the more interesting things that's taken place in the last 12 to 14 months or so is the willingness of the to promote other authors, even though they might, they might be seen as competitors mm-hmm. amongst each other. So a lot of the referrals I get of veteran authors are coming from other veteran author, authors. So that, that, Hey, that's great. It saves me time. And, and, you know, that does come back to your bona fides Sometimes if, if somebody who's a international bestseller tells me this good is this guy's dude, uh, this sure. food is good. Then yeah. Works. For yeah. Me. So one of the challenging things, I, one of the, what I think would be a, a, a hard road ahead for anybody, but especially in your case, is to come into what is already a brand and then be in a format like live radio, where, as you said, like there really is no room for error. Um, And you don't, I mean, right now we can screw around. I can pause. I can think, you know, you can think we we can go back. If God forbid the worst happens, we can go back and edit if we need to. Um, How daunting was that for you initially? Did you find yourself taking to it pretty quickly? Do you normally think in kind of good, clipped, clear ways that you're able to articulate it easily? Or do you find, was that a real learning curve to kind of just master the being the voice and and being the MC and pushing things along as they need to be pushed along on radio? Every single aspect of this adventure has been on the job learning. Yeah. In front of the mic, behind the mic, all the above. The so I've got two last names, Bueller, which is German, Garcia, which is Spanish slash Mexican. The Bueller side of me, Chris, wants everything lined out and scripted out on time, bang, bang, bang. The Garcia part of me, like, eh, whatever, you know, look at pasa, pasa. 
So one of the transitions that I learned is to get away from no matter how good, and I've got a general idea of what I want to talk to the guest about as we go into the show. But as you've seen, it's not unusual for the, the discussion to just head off in a completely different direction, a better direction. So one of the first learning experiences was let it flow, Ben. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about pink poodles, but the best discussion is really about, you know, the best tasting crab or whatever, that let it go. That's what makes good radio. And I always tell the guests that really it's just a friendly chat between two people with thousands of folks eavesdropping. And one of the best compliments I've received from guests who've been on the show is how about how comfortable they felt yeah. uh, doing radio. So, well, and I, I can attest that you absolutely do do that. What I was really impressed with, um, to the point that I was like, this is why I don't, I would never host a live radio show, is uh, that you can sum up things in that free flow succinctly and clearly. Um, you know, while doing all the left brain activity of making sure you're hitting your hard breaks and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, I mean, certainly you've been at it for nine years, so you've got a lot of reps under your belt, but that that's not an easy thing to pull off and to pull that off and still make the guest feel comfortable, feel like they're getting enough air to say what they need to say. Um, and that's a, that's a delicate balance, man. How, how well, quickly did it take to get there? Oh gosh. Uh, at least a couple of years, yeah. uh, at least a couple of years. And, and really, the you make a very good point for people who like to watch sports. You know, sometimes you'll see a team basketball team that's just really on a roll, and then comes a TV timeout, yeah. and that sort of throws some cold water on that on that vibe, and they have to readjust coming back. So live radio is similar to that. I mean, you you've got to think in those terms. You got to think in terms of four segments, and uh, very often that means trying to not get into an extensive discussion on an important topic. At, you know, 12 minutes after the hour, because, you know, you've only got so you, you're right. You do have to think in different ways than you might have to with a podcast where you just kind of turn on the mics and go. Who has been the easiest types of guests for you? Is it people that have something to push because they automatically want to talk at length about whatever it is they're selling or, or advocating for? Or is it uh, is it the, the combat stories, uh, getting people to open up on that? What's been the easiest? uh folks to talk to for you well you, you do and i tell you my my focus the last couple of years as much as possible is to try and get as many world war ii and korean era veterans on as possible just because we're losing them and that's my fear you just from personal experience in my work in the community sometimes there's great stories out there and if they're not recorded or in a written down or taped or whatever they are gone forever and we can't learn from that. So I'm trying to get those generations on the show as much as possible. And you're, I'm finding that certainly with the World War II Korean era veterans, they're now more comfortable talking about their experiences. I'm starting to see that more now with, with the, the Vietnam era veterans. It's not been a challenge for the global war on terror veterans, at least that I've seen yeah. so far. I mean, but it's a different generation, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, coming back to the first question, Believe it or not, the folks that have, or, you know, like sometimes authors or or movie stars or folks like that, if they're particularly if they're promoting something, I find that those tend to be the more challenging interviews because you have to work hard to get them out of their talking points. Oh, yeah. Yes, I saw the two pages your publicist sent me, and I don't want to talk about any of that. And, and the, the guests usually are cool about that, but they're so, you know, they've done 12 interviews in the last week and they're, they're just in that, 
that vein. You know, they're just kind of repeating the same talking points over and over again. So it's, it's a challenge to get them out of that. Say, no, look, it's just two dudes talking. Let's let's talk. And, I, I, yeah, I would say it's, it's 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 not an interview. It's a conversation. And that's an important distinction. And other hosts or podcasts out there who, who listen to this, I think that's something they need to learn early on. What do you hope? Um, this is kind of a... Is a question if I if I was doing this on radio, I'd wait till the end of the interview to ask you this because I feel like it's a good <laughs> takeaway for folks. But what do you want people to take away from your show when they listen to it? What do you hope are the second and third order effects of you doing this? I just want people to be more, particularly civilians, just to be more cognizant. You know, I've got an advertiser that has a uh, uh, they do window tinting and stuff like that, and which obviously is important in the desert. And the the tagline that they wrote for their ad was, "We, you know, the wind. You put our tint on your on your windows, and it's protecting your car, whether you're thinking about it or not. We've got men and women who are out there protecting our nation and our communities, whether you're thinking about it or not. And that idea has really resonated with me. Most of us in the civilian world, particularly those who are not connected in any way, yeah, do not give a second's thought." unless there's something flashing the news or unless they get pulled over for speeding about these men and women who have literally signed an oath in blood, unfortunately, in many cases to leave their families, to take risk their life so that we can be with our families and we can be safe. And so my, that to answer your question, I, I just want people to pause and think about that uh, for a little bit. And I, in fact, I wrote a, a article for Havoc Journal I think it was on Memorial Day or was a Veterans Day. I can't recall, but basically like, you know, take a minute to think about people or give a minute to think about people who've given their lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, One of the, one of the sort of pet peeves I have um, in, in civ mill relationships is that as much as you said, you know, people are out there defending us and, and keeping us safe when we're not thinking about it, even when we're not thinking about it. Yet, law enforcement, first responders in the military are often topics that the layman feels free to chime in with opinions about, about how they could be done better or how jobs can do better. You know, uh, you know certain XYZ could have been done in a way that they think would have been more effective. And obviously, that's everyone's right. And God bless. And there before the grace of God go I, because certainly I've had a lot of opinions about things I don't fully understand. Um, but it's interesting that it doesn't clear the bar of, say, uh, an airline pilot. You know, I mean, I have an opinion on how to fly a plane. You probably don't want my opinion. I'd <laughs> rather have the pilot's opinion, right? But when it comes to um, first responders and, and military folks, you know, those are opinions that it, it, it seems like, uh, well, hey, we all should chime in on this. And certainly everybody should chime in on it, but but a little bit of self-awareness that, you know, those aren't just because just because you feel like there's a common sense solution that you can spot that would have maybe solved a problem to your liking um, doesn't necessarily mean that you have all the buy-in and all the experiential knowledge that you should have to um have a weighted opinion the way that maybe someone that's walked those in that, in those footsteps would. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And cause I see it every day and I think all of us do. And I, I, 
do you think that that's maybe a generational issue? You know, the internet and video games have made everybody an expert. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah, perfect example. So uh, at, at our local Air Force base, they fly the A-10 aircraft. That's a training base. And I had the opportunity. And, and this is a good point. I mean, look, I, I'm not, this is not pat myself on the back sort of thing. Um, I, I truly, it's a joy doing it. It's not only an honor to do this show, but it's, it's a joy. And I get to do some pretty cool stuff. So uh, a group of us were invited out to fly the A-10 simulator. I'm, you know, serious, honest to goodness, big Air Force A-10 simulator. Well, I had 8,000 combat hours on my local A-10 simulator on my home game computer. I might blew up a lot of Iraqi tanks. So, uh, so I get in the simulator and I tell them, okay, set all the, the make the settings 100% realistic. Don't cut me any slack. And let's see if I can get this thing off the ground. Well, sure enough, you know, I, so I'm standing on the brakes. I'm putting the throttles full forward. I'm checking my flaps and everything and all stuff I learned on a computer game at home. And I, I get off the ground. I'm doing pretty good. I'm at about 400 feet off the runway. And I decided to do that Tom Cruise Top Gun roll off the aircraft carrier, you know, and uh, A-10s don't do that. And so I augured in right off the bat. Well, okay. So I guess I'm not, you know, I was an expert because I <laughs> needed to be I, an yeah. engineer. No, yeah, I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I, I think you're right. And that's that, but I guess the answer to that is for those of us who are doing this and the, the burden is even greater to try and, and, and again, there's simple things. And I'm not saying everybody has to spend all day long advocating for people. I'm not saying you have to thank everybody for their service. When you see them wearing a, a World War II veteran ball cap, you know, to each their own, but just be cognizant and be aware of it and pause on occasion and little things you know, like doing a ride along. Yeah. You know, when we come back to the first responders and law enforcement, a lot of, so many people just don't get it, but uh, almost any agency in, in a community, wherever people are hearing this, if you ask, they'll, they'll take you out. And man, you talk about sobering and enlightening. Um, folks will come back from that experience with a whole different attitude and a whole different perspective. Yeah, I know the FBI, I don't know if they still do, but they used to have a civilian like outreach program where you, where you'd go and it would be like one day a week or one day a month for a mm -hmm. while. And they'd put you through like a, a civilian FBI Academy or something, but it was, it was to kind of integrate and they'd usually extend this to business leaders and mm -hmm. leaders in the community to join and kind of do certain things with the FBI. It's sort of like ride along step. Obviously FBI doesn't do a lot of riding, but, um, but going out and kind of understanding what the FBI does a little bit more. I always thought that was an effective way of kind of getting some buy-in from the community um, and getting that awareness. I, I want to ask about the world war II and Korea vets, because you, you know, it keeps coming up the generational differences um, in how we treat the military, what we expect from the military, and how the military veterans themselves um, view themselves. What has been the biggest challenge with the older generation of veterans? Because obviously, and this is my guess, that that's a generation that really was used to just shutting up about their service and not and maybe it was because they were all drafted. I haven't unpacked all the psychological or sociological reasons why this is, but I would imagine because it was a draft and they're like, well, I was a number and I was picked. The, the, you know, there's not a lot of glorification of what they did. There's not a lot of revelry in what they did. Um, there's, and, and as a result, they just kind of um, clam up and tend to have a shocking degree of humility about what they did. Has that been your experience or is there something else going on and how easy has that been to draw them out and get them to open up 
for the record about what they saw? That, that question is answered pretty early, early on in the process because they just say, I, in fact, I just had a, a the daughter of a World War II veteran that I was communicating with that he, I mean, he's got a tremendous story to tell and we're going back and forth. And she said, no, he just, he doesn't want to come on the show. Okay. So, you know, that, that's the answer. The wow. once they, they are on the show, you, we've, you've already crossed that threshold. So as long as they feel comfortable and you're having a chat and, and, you know, you know, the, the don't go to areas. Um, we I had one world war two veteran that was uh, landed on D day, survived the battle of the bulge. And he happened to be of Jewish ancestry. Well, towards the end of the war, his unit came across one of these concentration camps and that was very hard for him to describe his feelings and what he, you know, as, as someone of Jewish descent how, how, and a liberator, still the, the, how he described that moment in his life. Now that was, you know, 70 plus years ago. So he's, he's, he's developed a way of describing those things. So, and then there's some that are just perfectly fine with it. Um, <laughs> Kind of a funny story that in most cases, though, because it is live radio, the challenge is a logistical challenge, Chris. So I had a, a World War II bomber pilot um, had been shot down, was a prisoner of war, and he was a local guy. So I'd heard his speech before. I knew the, the temper of his speech, what, you know, where to schedule the breaks and whatnot. Uh, but he's also 98 years old and he was doing the interview over the phone. Well, we take our last commercial break. And we come back from the break and he's five minutes further away than where we left off. And my producer and I, I think he just, he didn't cut catch the cue. He just kept talking, telling his story through the entire commercial break. And, you know, what do you do at that point? Well, you just go with it. Uh, God bless his heart. Still a good story. Um, so yeah, I'd say most of the challenges are more on the logistical end, but normally if they agree to come on the show, they've agreed to, and you can, I tell you, that's, one thing that has changed, you know, I started off just in Tucson. Then we added a, we we're approached by a station, Phoenix. We added a Phoenix station. Um, so I started thinking, and again, with those inquiries, kind of like, well, this thing has some chops. Maybe, maybe you need to spread your wings and thereby spread the message to a broader audience, Ben. So um, when I started looking at the ideal markets for me, military markets, Colorado Springs, you know, top of the list, given the uh, intensity of, of the military representation there. So added a Colorado Springs station. And now we've got two shows in Sacramento and um, two shows in, in Oberlin, Ohio. And, and my goal is to try and do full syndication. I don't know if you want to talk about that business end of things, but you know, I've been kind of just plodding along, adding as, as much as I could. Um, but as, as that has happened, you know, the best interview is when you're sitting across a table from each other. You can, you can see the facial yeah, cues. You yeah. can hear the, you know, the trembling in their voice if that comes up. Um, but now that I'm, I've got more of a national footprint, so many of the, I'd say probably 95% of my interviews now are over the phone. And uh, so that's, that's a little bit different than be able to, you know, I try, if, if there's a local story or somebody happens to be in town, I try and get them in the studio because that just sure. makes a better interview. But uh, yeah. yeah, telephone is the way to go for now. That's a, yeah, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of work to try to read that remotely as somebody that never does anything in person. Uh, yeah, I can, I can empathize. There's I, it, it, the amount of cues I feel like get missed just because 
you know, we're just not in the same room. We're not picking up the same vibe necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it is, it's a different adventure. And, and really it's, it's also about observing. And again, just yeah. for what it's worth, I don't, I'm not a person to give advice. <laughs> don't take advice from me folks, but just consider, um, you know, the, the best podcast host, radio host, TV host is a good listener. You've got, and I don't hear the shows when I do them. And what I mean by that is I'm so focused on listening to the guest and, and, and following up that line of conversation or completely switching gears that I don't hear the show until I sit down a couple of days later and start editing the file for podcast. And very often I'll discover things in the show that I didn't, I didn't think about while we're actually doing the interview. Um, but that, you know, that's just something it's important to be able to listen, but having it in person, another good example, I had a Colonel who was on talking about the pararescue mission of the year and just, you know, just amazing story. Mm. And as I'm watching him across the table, I noticed he's wearing hearing aids and it struck me as a civilian. It's like, wait a minute, this is a, you know, fly into bad places, rescue people kind of guy. This is a warrior who's wearing hearing aids. And that just struck me as very odd. And so we started talking about that a little bit. And that actually led to, uh, you know, hearing loss is one of the the number one disabilities of of veterans. So that actually led to another show where I brought in an audiologist and talked about that. Um, So that, that visual clue led to, and that's, it's not so much of a challenge now in that we're being approached by a lot of folks about having their guests. In fact, I just turned one down this morning. Uh, about having them on the show. So the filling the the queue of guests is not as much of a challenge as it was in the early years, mm-hmm. but that adds a different challenge. How do you keep an appropriate mix? Um, let's, you know, let's bust on the Navy SEALs for a little bit. God bless them. <laughs> but every Navy SEAL's got a book or something out. And I, you know, they're all great stories, but I don't want this to become the all Navy SEAL show. So trying to get a mix and a schedule of mix, but properly between the branches, between law enforcement, and then throwing in, um, you know, the occasional celebrity or, or, or supporter. Um, sorry, that's my associate producer, Kat, who's decided this is the day to wreck everything on the table. <laughs> Listen, how, it, one of the things that strikes me is, is something that could be an advantage with you is that you're a civilian and you can plead ignorance on a lot of things you're also free from different service services biases. Um, you can, um, I, I, I'm going to ask this question by uh, in a roundabout way. I think Joan Didion uh, once referred to the fact that she was very successful as a journalist because she was very dainty and small. And as a result, nobody felt threatened by her. So everyone opened up to her. Do you find that that as a civilian, people are willing to open up to you and give you more access because there's a much lower level of expectation for your knowledge or your experience? (laughs) Or do you find that it's a a disadvantage that it's like, oh, hey, uh, there's some secret handshake I'm missing or something like that? Like, what's that experience like for you? Are you you saying I'm dumb, Chris? (laughs) Just the opposite. I'm saying that you're 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 assumed to not know as much about military affairs as a veteran would. So you can play on that and go, aha, but in fact, I'm we've already my established, and I, yeah, and we've I already established I've got a face for radio. So I'll, I'll, I'll allow that. <laughs> um, you, you know, 
I guess that's a very good point because really I see my role as, as being a translator based on what you said. I've interacted enough through my other professional activities and um, other ways with, with the military to at least be smart enough to know which questions to ask and which questions aren't appropriate. But you're right. I, I still bring that naivety of a civilian that allows me to focus on the questions that civilians want asked and not to, you know, I'm not part of the club. So therefore we, we don't really spend a lot of time talking about clubby things like secret handshakes. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I, I hope, and you know, I'll tell you right now, if folks ever see me, if they hear a podcast or listen to a show and hear me drifting away from that, let me know, let me know. Cause that's one of the challenges. You don't want it to become rote. And the fellow that mentored me, who was the weekday host of the station when I first got started was the number one station in Tucson. He's now a host uh, up in the Twin Cities. I was kind of dragging. He would kind of do like a pre-interview on Friday and I do my show on Saturday. And I came in, I was kind of dragging butt. And he's on the commercial break. He stopped and said, hey, Ben, we get to do radio. How cool is that? Uh, and I always try and keep that with me. You know, there's, you know, I work weekends. I've got a day job. But then I do the show on the weekends. And so sometimes like, man, you know, I just don't feel like going into the studio today. Yeah. But then I think about what John Justice told me. Hey, we get to do radio. And that is always um, that, that's one of the more surprising things, I think, is when you do this for a long time, you forget how cool it really is. Yeah. And then you get the guests that are just so excited about being on the radio and uh, you don't want to overlook that. And, and you know, you, you want to share their, their joy and help them uh, help them expound upon that. How many hours a week? do you spend on the show between the booking, the pre the pre-tape or the interview itself, the post, how many hours total is that? It probably the main difference is if, again, if it's an author, I have to read the book. And so if you've got 400, 450 pages to go through, and I mean, I've got a stack of six books waiting right now that I've got to get yeah. through before I put them on the show. So if, if it's not an author and I don't have to read the book, um, but I, do, I want to do my due diligence, uh, probably, four, five, six hours of prep time for a one hour show. Uh, if you throw, if you throw in the book learning there, then that adds another couple hours to it. Cause I'm not one of the, I don't generally just sit down and go cover to cover. Um, you know, I've got to kind of read a hundred pages here, hundred pages there. And sure. then, of course you've got to pull something out of the book and take notes on what, what, uh, what's jumped out at you from, from that story. It's funny. Cause you probably know more about the military community than most veterans do. Don't you think at this point, because no one's doing that much work uh, on uh, so many different veterans from so many different eras and so many different services. I mean, that, that kind of makes you a little encyclopedia of modern military knowledge. No, well, except that I'm getting into pre-senility. Yeah, no, I would not. I would not claim to be an expert in any shape or form there. And what, one thing I would like to add, though, again, if folks are thinking of getting into this business, that that's just the prep for the show. That doesn't include selling the advertisers and putting together the ad packages and producing the ads and writing the scripts for the advertisers and all that other front office sort of stuff that has to take place in a show like mine. That whereas you might not have that if you're just doing a podcast out of your, you know, you're out of your parents' basement. Do you find it a challenge to get advertisers? I mean, you're in Tucson, it's a military friendly area, and your show has got an awful lot of history now. You know, the, it's got a lot of good word of mouth and good reputation. Um, how, how much of a challenge is that still? It's, it's, I mean, it's like any sales is a numbers game. And again, because I'm so 
protective of the brand, there are some advertisers that I've turned down or I won't touch. Um, and I'm sure most of your listeners out there can figure out who those are. Uh, that, that's, that's just not a good fit for American Warrior Radio, no matter how much you want to spend. But I, I, to me, Chris, I would really have made it when I, like when we started getting inquiries from people about having their, <clears throat> excuse me, their guests on the show, I would love to get to a point where I start to get inquiries from advertisers <laughs> about putting their mm-hmm. clients on the show. We're not quite there yet. So it it can be somewhat challenging in that in the radio business, so many, particularly the advertising agencies, they're so focused on numbers and ratings and not all of my stations subscribe to the Nielsen. So if people say, how many are people listening? I can honestly say, I have no idea. I can give you the numbers from Sacramento, which are darn good. Uh, but I can't tell you that's happening in Colorado Springs or, or, you know, Phoenix. So it's more of a, the pitch really is to, this is about you. If you want to reach those communities, the veterans, the first responder communities, yeah. and those people that support them, I'm your ideal vehicle for that. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Some of my, and the other evolution here, I'm sorry, I'm burning time here. I'm geeking out a little bit is, no, is also the transition from selling the local ass to the local car dealer, you know, the local restaurant owned by a Navy SEAL, um, those kinds of folks to more the national advertisers now. What kind of advertisers want their message heard in all of my markets? Because I'd rather sell an ad in seven markets for the same amount of time than selling an ad locally. And and really what it is, is you've got to have a mix of both. Because I've got, like I said, I've got 42 minutes of, of on-air time, which gives me, you know, depending on the, the show's clock, anywhere from uh, 12 to 14 minutes of advertising time I've got to fill. Uh, now, some of that I dedicate to mm-hmm. just uh, PSAs for, for veteran supportive organizations that I support, like the Green Beret Foundation or, um, you know, some of those organizations. And there's probably too many to mention. I try and mix it up um, uh, to get a nice mix on the ad space. So it can be a challenge, but some of them, honestly, I'll, I'll tell you, in fact, I've got a dealer here in Tucson who buys the ads. Not He doesn't expect to sell a single car, but he's doing it because he supports the message. Yeah. It's a yeah. warm and fuzzy buy for him. And that's okay. I'll still, I'll cash those checks all day long. I want to ask you about um, you personally. Um, you've been doing this show now in a increasingly volatile world since you took over. What has that meant for you, both in terms of booking guests and in terms of the content of the show? Um, the fact that, you know, uh, instead of seeing the wars diminish, I mean, you took it over. Um, ISIS was rising in Syria. Um, you were coming up, if I'm my numbers, if I'm my math's right, it was shortly after, you know, Libya and the debacle there. Um, now, you know, we're going headlong into God knows what in Ukraine. How, how, how much does that affect your show and how much does that affect your mission and the urgency and the, and the motivation that you have in doing the show? That, that's a two part answer. One doesn't impact me whatsoever Two, it impacts me 100%. And by that, I mean, because I have the flexibility because we're not just talking, I'm not a contemporary news talk show. So I don't feel compelled to talk about what's happening right now or in the near future in the world. So, because I've got, you know, we may be talking about D-Day or mm-hmm. some of your know, Vietnam or something. I mean, I had one of my great guests, we talked civil war. Mm. Um, so I've got, I've got that flexibility. But the reverse side of that coin is it's awful tempting 
to, you know, like, for example, particularly right now, to ask the guest, okay, what's your take on what's going on in Ukraine? The downside of that is because basically between my initial live interview and then the rebroadcast on the other stations, we've got a, a seven day window there. So the danger is if I bring something up on the first Saturday and things have significantly changed yeah. in seven days, that makes for some confusion for the folks that are hearing the show later. So, and then also I, I try as much as possible, Chris, to make my shows as evergreen as possible so that no matter when people are hearing them, it will make sense. But you just can't get away from from the the timely topics either. Um, and by the way, I just want to say because this has been in my my mind the whole whole morning here. I your when we talked to you and, and your description of your experiences on nine eleven, that you were a civilian at the time. Um, but that was some of the most I get. I've gotten so many compliments and and feedback from our listeners about your your narrative and your description oh. of that, and then how that led to future changes in your life. So sometimes you just never know where, where that little golden acorn is going to come from. Um, but that's why it's important just to make it a chat. Yeah. Do you think that, or do, have you ever gotten feedback that your show is materially increasing people's um, positive perceptions of the military? Even what I'm specifically thinking of is recruiting um, and that, you know, people are going, yeah, you know, something, it wouldn't be bad for my son or daughter to go into the military and kind of getting over some of those hesitancies. Have you ever gotten feedback like that? No, no. And that's probably the first, most frustrating thing. And, and as I try and learn on the way. And, and one of the most frustrating things for me, Chris, is I don't, I sometimes feel like I'm navigating a submarine without sonar. I just, I'm not getting feedback and there's the tools we can use the Google analytics or you know, my Blueberry podcast host, you know, I can get some some feedbacks, but those are just raw numbers. It's the rare occasion, unfortunately, where I will get, uh, for example, my my sac- one of my Sacramento affiliates said, hey, a lady sent us a card. Okay, business card? No, an old-fashioned doily thank you card. And you might want to call her. So they gave me her number and I did. And she was a, a woman on a retiree on a fixed income, she listens to the show regularly, and she was asking about the the charity I just had on the show because she doesn't have much money, but every month she sends a small check to a charity, and she wanted to know who that who was on the show and how. Basically, she wanted the contact information for them so she could send them a check. About three weeks later, I received a similar inquiry from my affiliate in in Ohio, and that was wonderful. That's great feedback because it, it made me know that people are actually listening, but also then we are having an impact. You know, that charity got a $20 check or a $50 check or whatever it might be. And I specifically recommended one to her where I knew a little bit of money would make a big difference. But it's frustrating to me to not, I got to tell you, when I see your numbers and the Havoc Journal numbers, and then I look at my Google Analytics and I'm getting, I don't know, 600 downloads a month, which is pitiful. It, it can be very frustrating. And I've got to figure out a way to, to work that new technology that you kids nowadays use. Um, <laughs> I Listen, uh, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, it's, I, I think it's always chasing a ghost. It's, it's, uh, and, and I, th- it seems like it's always a, um, a balance of having faith in what you're doing and then trying to learn the technical skills to try to, you know, somehow grab, you know, have, have, grab a handful of sand and make it, you know, stay in your palm. Um, because it's always changing. 
the technology keeps changing, the platforms keep changing. And it, it seems like the only thing that remains constant at the end of the day is really just the mission. Um, and I mean, certainly I know reputationally in the community what American Warrior Radio means and that when American Warrior Radio, I think the brand you've built, I mean, for what this is worth, I, I don't know if this constitutes feedback. I would imagine you would have heard this before, but on the off chance you hadn't, what American Warrior Radio means in, in to everyone that I know in the community is um, legitimacy and is true advocacy for the warrior. Um, the way that you you kind of let warfighters speak for themselves, I, I think that I, I'm not sure I can off the top of my head think of anybody else that kind of instantly garners that kind of street cred because you've been at it for long enough that it, it's built a level of trust with the community. And that's, and I don't know where the metrics lie with that, um, but I know what that means reputationally. And right. that's a hard thing to duplicate. That means a lot to me. Thank you for saying that because you're, you're right at the end of the day, that is the mission. And I, for a long time, I just considered this a labor of love until a, I started to get those inquiries from national level guests and B I got married. And of course the wife said, Hey, labor of love ain't going to cut it anymore, buddy. You got It's got to at least break even. And so I've had one of the regular features I do on the show is with veteran entrepreneurs. And, um, I, if, if pride is a sin, I'm, I'm going straight to hell. And some of them have said, Ben, look, you don't, you don't have to wear the hair shirt. It's okay to do a great show. It's okay to build a great show. It's okay to make money doing it. And don't, you know, that was a real learning experience for me. It's like, don't, don't feel like you have to just break even if you got a good product out there and Hey, and, and donate all the money to charity if you want, you know, right. Sure. So sure, whatever. that, that would be my goal as I'm going into my, my golden years, I'd love to turn this from a, a weekend labor of love hobby job to maybe more of a full-time gig. And that's that. Well, that's part of the other reason I'm pursuing full syndication. The main reason, of course, is to get this message out to more ears. But uh, it would be nice to be able to actually quit my day job sometime. That makes a ton of sense. And, uh, and that also gives it, it's nice because in the ninth year that you've been doing this, it kind of gives it a whole new burst of energy, right? Because it's like, hey, we, we have to, whatever plateau we built, you have to level up off that. And there's that impetus to do that. I, I will be honest. It's been more of a kick in the butt sort of thing <laughs> between my wife and other veterans out there who listen to the show saying, no, you know, either, either commit or don't. But uh, yeah, and it's fine. If you just want to, I think the, the phrase, if you just want to keep doing your own little show and, you know, in one market, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you really, truly believe that you've got something that people need to hear, then it's almost your responsibility to grow the show. And that that makes some there's a kernel of sense in there. It's funny. It, no, there there is. And it's it's funny that you bring up you know, people having to tell you, hey, it's OK to make money at this, because I feel like there's that same hesitancy inside the veteran community. Mm. Um, I, I've talked about this with a couple of people, I think, on the show before, but you know, that sense that in the veteran community, that when you stick your head up above the crowd, um, there's often a sense of, well, who the hell are you? What makes you special en enough? And there's, there's a natural, it, it's kind of the perversion of humility. It's one thing to be humble. It's another to decapitate those that would that stick their heads up, you know, above the crowd. And, and it's finding that balance of, you know, how do you not make it 
egotistical yet still provide for yourself and, you know, be able to keep doing what you're doing. And the fact that you're finding yourself in that spot, I, I think is really relatable to a lot of veterans. And I guess, let me, this is kind of a delicate question. So I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it, but well, you're Do not you, going to offend me, so don't worry about it. Yeah, well, it's it's it, because I think with a lot of veterans, I mean, one thing that has become a, a bit of a recurring theme is that, hey, I don't, um, you know, I think a lot of veterans, and I guess myself to some degree, kind of look around, and if life is going okay, there's a sense of, well, who the fuck am I to have it like this? There's others that didn't. And we'll never have it like this because they're not here anymore. And there's others that, you know, are here and aren't getting it like this. And um, that, for lack of a better word, you know, the survivor's guilt kind Mm -hmm. of issue. Is there, because you brought this up, I'm I'm just going to ask, is there any of that with you? Is there a sense of God there before the grace of God should have gone I, and now here I am like, is, is that part of the equation at all for you as well? I, I don't know if I really understand your question relative to the radio show or relative to the radio show and relative to, um, I guess the success of American warrior radio and the fact that you're ambitious for more, um, is there some sense of, of, Hey, um, you know, why me? Cause I, I'm not saying that, that it applies to you. I, I think it completely doesn't, but I also see that, that I, th- I think there's kind of a, I think there's a natural parallel with a lot of people in the veteran community that sometimes go, well, maybe it isn't right for me to push to make more money at this because I I shouldn't be the one to do this. There's always a sense that we don't deserve the good that's come into our lives or the opportunities that's come into our lives. And I'm just wondering if almost by osmosis, your closeness to the veteran community has kind of rubbed off. That's rubbed off on you as well. Am I making sense with that? Yeah, I I think about Excuse me, that classic line, Clint Eastwood line from the movie Unforgiven, where he says, deserves got nothing to do with it. Um, You know, if you believe in something, I believe you should be committed to it and committed to building it. And who knows? Maybe the wheels will just fall apart on this. Maybe I'm getting my head's getting too big for the for the studio. And at some point, people say, yeah, you know what? It's not that good a show. We're not going to we're not going to take you as an affiliate or we're not we're, you know, we're going to stop the advertising. And that's okay, But. I try not to have regrets. And it's one of those things where you look back and say, well, you don't want to be 98 years years old and say, man, I just, I should have, I shouldn't have just stayed in Tucson. And, uh, and honestly that the inspiration and the motivation for me, Chris comes from people like you. It comes from that feedback from both the guests that have been on the show, you know, the occasional feedback. There's one guy locally who just insists on texting me throughout the entire show, which I can't tell you how distracting that can be. Um, but he's engaged and that's okay. And I've got a listener in that tunes in in Phoenix and he doesn't, he's older. He doesn't use the internet or anything, but every weekend he'll call me cause he just wants to have a chat about what he heard, you know, the, about the show. And, you know, sometimes that's, it can be kind of a pain, but God bless him. Um, yeah. I guess if I had one wish to come out of our, our chat is just to get more feedback from folks out there. Uh, a, there, there are so many wonderful stories that still have not been told, and I want to tell them. So if you have an idea, send them my way. And then just you know, give me feedback on the show. What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How can I improve? It's not going to offend me. Uh, one, mm. you know, 
Um, you touched on that. It's kind of that uh, fatalistic humility that some people suffer from sometimes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's important to keep your feet on the ground. And again, because I am navigating in waters that are not my my home port. I never served. I never wore a badge. Um, I have run into fires before once in my life. But uh, so I do. I am coming from a position of better informed than most, but um and I don't know if I talked with you about this before, but coming back to what civilians can do, the Air Force has got an amazing program called the Honorary Commander Program. And what they do is they attach business leaders in the community with a a counter a contemporary in the military. And in my case, I happen to be one of the greatest honors of my life. I was the honorary commander for a fellow who was then a three-star general. And boy, you talk about enlightening. Uh, from both from a kind of a silly standpoint, like, uh, you know, I didn't, I just assumed a three-star general got his own plane. Well, no, they had to fly him commercial. And, you know, then I put on my business hat. I'm like, that is so dumb. I mean, this guy's got 5,000 hours on F-16. You got him laying all over the place. And is it more efficient to have a three-star general sitting on his butt in a commercial airport waiting for the next flight? Or is it more efficient to the taxpayers and to our military? Put him in F-16. He flies out there. He zooms back. He's back at his desk. You know, it didn't make sense to me, but it was a learning experience. Um, so I can't. Oh, my point of all that story was at the end, when we had the kind of the going away barbecue for Mr. and Mrs. General, they made the mistake of giving me a microphone. And I said something to the effect of, you know, you, wonderful. You, they work and welcomed me into their tribe, into their families. They're very welcoming. Uh, and very warm, but I will never be one of you. And my intent of that was I will never wear the uniform. I, I, I can talk about this, but I've never walked in your boots. And the look on the general's wife's face was just a gas. Like, she's like, you, you know, you ingrate, you know, we had you in our home. And then I had to explain what I meant by that is that as much as I appreciate it, I will never be one of you, Christopher Meyer. Um, I, I, I haven't had that experience. I never will at this point in my life. And that's just, it's important to keep that as a grounding factor in what I do, because so often when I was in, involved in professional sports, we had a word for, um, the fans who just were, let's just say too much of fans or, um, uh, in the police world, I don't, I think they call them badge bunnies or, or something like that. You know, the, the folks that are just too, and, and as a civilian, I also see that in the military world where there's civilians out there who want to adopt the persona and the trappings of being one of you and nothing offends me more to me. That's sort of the civilian equivalent of, of stolen valor. Mm. And so I always try and keep a, a very healthy distance between who I am and those of you that I support, if that makes sense. It makes a ton of sense, but I also, I, I want to also examine the positive side of what you bring, which is that, because you didn't have any service, I, I do think that you see things, pick up on things, or sensitive to things you, that, as you pointed out before, a civilian would notice that military members might just gloss over right away because they wouldn't think twice of it. Mm -hmm. And it's why I think, you know, some of the most moving portraits of cities, of times, of uh, you know, uh, countries. You know, different places, different experiences have been done by people that were not from there because you need a little bit of that, mm -hmm. you know, man from Mars, uh, you know, pullback and, and detachment in order to capture the picture accurately and fully. And I think that is what you do. Um, and it's it, rather than being a detriment, in my opinion, I think 
your sensitivity, your empathy. Um, yes, your boundaries, right? And that's all good. And you know where you stand um, as far as your experience, but it's an honest accounting that I think uh, sometimes people that are coming from the service might not, um, might miss and might gloss over and they might miss some of the nuances that you capture. You know, this is a lot cheaper than going to a psychologist. <laughs> That's how I felt when I was on your show. You pinpointed <laughs> me and I've been I've always been like, damn, he got that. And he got that and, in 42 minutes with ads. And, how did and get by that the on? way, I, I forgot that this is a podcast, so I can't actually say anything I want without being fined by the FCC. So the term in, in, in professional sports is uh, jock sniffers. Makes I wouldn't say that. Yep. I wouldn't say that on the radio airways, but I can tell your your listeners that that's that's the the uh, pejorative term that we use for those particular group of fans. So, so. I want to get your uh, your I don't know what we call it outsider's perspective, your your impartial third party perspective, or maybe not impartial. Your your partial, but uh, you know, uh, in the game, not of the game, a perspective on the recent um, and I guess it's not so recent actually now, but epidemic in the veteran community. Uh, the 22 a day stuff and veteran suicide and and all those things going on. How much is that factored into your programming and what's your take on it? Um, I I just kind of want to throw it out there. It's a broad subject, but um, I think sometimes we as veterans, you know, are insular when it comes to that subject. So somebody that knows so much about the military, like you with your perspective, I think um, I'd love to know just where your head's at with that. It's, it's extremely frustrating because I just, I don't get how we cannot find a solution to this. And, and now, you know, suicide has been around since we've been around. So um, there, there's that, but having never been, I've never had that thought cross my mind ever in my 61 years on this planet. And to the best of my knowledge, that has never, I know it hasn't impacted my family directly. So it's, but again, we've never, we're not you. We've never worn the uniform. We've never seen the things that you see. And um, so I guess it's more of a frustration because Chris, I'm always looking to say, okay, we're, there's gotta be a cure somewhere. There's gotta be a shot. There's gotta be a pill. There's gotta be a program. And I guess the, the opposite side of that coin is I've had so many programs on my show that are being effective. Uh, you know, Boulder Crest is a great program. There's a, oh shoot, what is it? Bobby, he's doing like a surf thing out in California mm. that's changed veterans' lives. That's gotten them off the fruit salad of the pills. And um, so it's 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 nice to to see that, but I just I don't know. It's extremely. I mean, what a shame for the rest of us, for the civilians out there, for the elected leaders, for the professionals that this continues to happen at, at that rate. And, and I guess maybe the one thing I can do with the, the podium that I have is to just, again, keep it at the forefront of, of the civilians' minds and, and just encourage people to, you know, to reach out. And it might, it might, and again, if I'm coming to you as a veteran and say, Hey man, I'm worried about you. Probably nine times out of 10, I'll get that's none of your damn business. Who are you to ask? But you know, if you get that one, where you are able to sit down and chat and maybe get them some, some folks that can help them. I will say one thing though, Chris, I think that in expressing my frustrations here to you on the psychoanalyst couch, uh, what just came to me though is really, unfortunately, 
I think the majority of that burden is going to fall on the veterans, veterans and military themselves. You know, you've got the credibility and you need to reach out to your brothers and sisters on a regular basis and or ask for help yourself to get over that, um, you know, a personality. Nothing's ever wrong. I'm, I'm too strong for this sort of thing. And I, I think I honestly believe that that, that might be the, the key to helping mitigate this problem is, is that your community needs to. And don't get me wrong. You, you are doing it. I see it all the time. But um, maybe a little extra effort. I'm, I'm, that's that's my yeah. ignorant, ignorant feedback on that. No, no, but, not ignorant at all. No, as I say, I, I don't think many people have the the breadth of perspective that you have um, with the number of people that you interact with and have talked to in depth. I, I, I don't think a lot of people actually have can match that. You know, essentially you say that I, there's been, when you talk about regrets, there's been two occasions where I was not able to get to a guest soon enough and they did their last patrol before we were able to, to get them on American warrior radio. And that always hurts. Thankfully, I've not had a situation. We had a guest in the queue and they took their own life, but there have been occasions where I, I was generally worried. I mean, I've had guests who, uh, one in particular who's written a very powerful and unabashed summary of his time in Afghanistan and read the book, had him lined up to come on the show. And then I got some communication from his father saying, yeah, he's just not, he's not in a place anymore to, to do that interview. And uh, of course, right away, my mind goes to the worst place and it's, Hey, check in with him. Can I call him? Whatever. No, just, you know, let him deal with it. But, uh, that is what my, one of my most terrifying fears is that that will happen. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah. What is the easiest, um, what were maybe easiest in the right word? What turns you on the most now with guests? What gets you going? Oh, hell, I can't wait to talk to this person. What is it that really gets the blood going for you? Um, I, in fairness, I, there is a little bit of selfishness there in that when I get a, a high profile guest, you know, I mean, and again, this comes back to, I, uh, I have to work on the weekends, Ben, you know, you get to talk to movie stars and, and, and celebrities and, you know, guys like Christopher Mayer and Mike Day. That that my interview with Mike Day is still by far my most downloaded podcast. And I don't know if you know his huh. story. No. So Mike Day was a Navy SEAL. They're breaching a, a bad guy house. I can't remember yes. where it was, but okay. shot 27 times. That's right. Yep. Um, wow, what an interview. And I didn't know it going in. I just thought it was a great story. But then when you hear this person and you know the struggles he was going through during the interview, I mean, not to be mean, but that's compelling radio, you know. Um, so that, that's always kind of cool, but I will say at the same time, in retrospect, sometimes the shows that you don't expect much out of, and then turn out to be a real delight, you know, the guests that surprise you, uh, uh, Bo Derek was probably a good example of that where it's like, Hey, Bo Derek, great publicity. Let's have her on. But what a joy to, to discover why she does what she does and how she does it. And, and just how smart she is, what a great businesswoman she is. Um, so I, you know, I, I try and give every guest equal, equal billing and equal love, except for, you know, you and your havoc journal buddies, which 
God, stop calling, man. Scott Faith. I've only got four shows a worst. month. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, you got you by far. When I talk about you know, Mike Day's got the most downloads, but uh, the Havoc Journal folks get the most appearances. And and let's be fair, it makes my job easier. Well, I mean, you guys are great source material. I would hope. I would. I would hope so. Um, that Scott Faith guy, boy, he's got a lot to say. Um, and uh, and yeah, and it, it certainly it's been a two way street. I mean, it's been I think a real blessing to have you as an outlet. What what what, what else can I do to help them? I mean, some people collect stamps or work on cars. What brings me joy is helping other folks, Chris. So, what else can I do? How can I improve? What else can I do other than you know? getting syndicated in 250 markets and, <laughs> and then donating all my money to the second mission foundation. Well, but that's exactly it, right? What, he- what helps you is helping others. And that's why it is such a selfless act because even in your most raw capitalist fervor, that's actually an incredibly selfless um, move because it does grow the platform that does nothing but advocate for veterans and get these stories out. I'm, I'm, I, I think, you know, what we talked about before with topical issues that come up or the veteran suicide pandemic, you know, those are, um, those are causes and those need, they need a narrative for people to understand them and for people to wrap their heads around the issues. And, um, and I think like you talked about before, what makes a good host, a good listener? Well, what the hell do you need when you're having suicidal ideations? Sometimes Mm -hmm. you really need somebody that can listen. And you need to be able to unpack certain things. And, um, you know, I, I think what you're building and what you've built and then your future ambitions for the show, I think, are, are needed in the community. I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not like, hey, Ben, what would really help is if you could learn how to, you know, change tires in under a minute. Like, I mean, you know, it, you're, you're on the, <laughs> the, the, the path that you've built is exactly the super highway that's needed for that flow of information that goes from the veteran community to other veterans, as well as to the civilian population. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because what has surprised me, the intent of the show was to get more understanding amongst the civilian populace, but it's been surprising to me how many veterans themselves are in active duty or tuning in. There's a, a former wing commander here that is now at another base. And I happen to cross paths with him at an event. And, and uh, he says, yeah, I still listen every week. Mm. It's like, wow, that's, that's surprising. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's good. Good to hear. Well, and it's funny, you know, I think just off the top of my head, you know, the name American Warrior Radio, I could see that being intimidating maybe to a civilian who goes, oh, got it. It's going to be kind of like what you talked about before. It's going to be all Navy SEALs all the time. Right. And I think you as a, as a host um, mitigate a lot of that because you're incredibly humble, you're incredibly selfless, and you're a civilian. Um, so it it allows the civilians into that window of the warfighter experience. And I think that is what's needed hmm. uh, for any number of causes. So I think that's incredibly valuable. Yeah. You just gave me a good idea. Maybe I need to change my promos and invite more civilians to join me. You that's know, join, crazy join enough to make on, sense. Join yeah. me on this journey. Um, you know, learn something. Um, maybe pull at your heartstrings a little bit, but uh, interesting. Okay. So well, you, yeah, yeah. You, cause you are, you're a tour guide. And rarely is the tour guide from the jungle that they're touring, you know, it's like, but you're, but you're, you are very much the tour guide of that. I actually, I love that idea. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think that's a winner. Look at this. And you didn't even charge me anything. 
Well, as far yeah. as I know, I yeah. might be getting yeah, yeah. a bill from Scott Faith here anytime. But uh, and, uh, you know, I, again, I love what you, uh, just a shout out to Havoc Journal, because that's for a civilian like me. Not only do I source a lot of my guests from an article I might see or, or hear on your po- or a guest I hear on your podcast, but uh, it's also very educational uh, to me. And uh, in some cases, very inspirational as well. I, I, in my day job, I, I work with a lot of bureaucrats and politicians, and that doesn't exactly build your faith in the the human condition. Uh, nothing but love, folks. But um, when I then when I go out there and interact with the military at some event or, or hear some of these stories, or it just it recharges me, Chris. It really does. It just makes me feel better about life as a whole. And, and Lord knows with, with what's happening in the world right now, all of us could use some of that. Yeah, a hundred percent, and and understanding those experiences even more. Um, now it's you know it's one thing to kind of do a post mortem on Afghanistan the way many of us were mm-hmm. when that ended, but we got a whole new front right now, and it's one of those things where hey, we we have to we have to reset. You know, we can't just sit here and navel gaze, but there there's a resetting, and the more civilians um, understand the military experience, I think the more informed we are as a people and the better decisions we hopefully make as a people. You know, I was just at a talk the other night where um, the speaker talked about how literate Americans had always been. And he said it was probably because they were Protestant and Protestants had to read the Bible. Um, so it wasn't necessarily fun reading, but they did know how to read, you know, the, the revolutionary war era civilian knew how to read a lot. And as a result, we've always been very opinionated and been, but it was based on our literacy. And I feel like now we probably may not read as much as a people, but we certainly still take in an awful lot of information and the more white noise from the podcast Mm -hmm. world that we put out there that can be infused with really helpful knowledge and experiential wisdom, I think is incredibly needed but it's frustrating because it's gotten harder and harder to find the truth um you know i i'll probably read six seven newspapers a day every morning just to find you know to to see the left and right parameters and try and seek out the truth for myself somewhere in the middle there and and nothing frustrates me more than the keyboard warriors and that maybe comes back to the the mission of american warrior radio you know these folks pounding their desk right now and clicking on their keyboard about we should, you know, send, start a no fly zone and, you know, just punch Putin in the nose. Um, you know, they're saying so without any real understanding of the impacts upon those families, that 1% who sworn that blood oath to the rest of us. And um, it's just, I mean, with the whole Afghanistan thing, Chris, even though I never served, it, just, it turned my stomach. Yeah. It just really did. And I reached out to those folks that I knew as much as possible, just to check in and say, "Hey, how are you doing?" Um, because that don't not only hurts those families and those that served, and and but I mean, I, I honestly believe it's it's really really devastated our reputation globally. And you of all people know sometimes it's not just you know carrying a big stick, but you got to be willing to use it. And after a while, and, you know, this is something I learned from my brother who was uh, Office of Special Investigations in the Air Force, mm. is in certain societies, violence is really the only currency they understand. And someone's willingness to employ violence when it comes down to it. Not saying that America has got to become the, the bully in the world, but, you know, after a while, it doesn't matter how the big how big the stick is you're carrying. If, if folks think you're never going to swing it, that can lead to some 
bad consequences. And my personal uninformed opinion, that's what we're seeing right now. It's an interesting question. If and I, it, I, there's no answer for it, um, or I'm sure there's many answers for it. I'm not sure the right answer that we would even know the right answer at this point. But um, if we hadn't pulled out of Afghanistan, I wonder if Putin would have invaded Ukraine. If we um, let me clarify, if we hadn't pulled out of Afghanistan the way if, we the way we did, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 not arguing that I don't you know. Um, and, and now that's as someone who reads a lot of history and talks to a lot of veterans, I've got to say might turn off some of your listeners here now, but I do believe, you know, Germany, Japan are perfect examples of, of that. Sometimes when you commit, you're committing for a long time and that might mean some form of occupation. And okay. I don't think that was proving useful in Afghanistan. I mean, some places just can't be fixed, don't want to be fixed. Um, and that's okay. Then it's not our job to do it. Having said that, there is a right way and a, and a wrong way to extricate oneself. And that, from a civilian perspective, was about the worst way that that could have been done. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I do think it's two separate questions. Should we have stayed? And then how should we have left if we were going to leave? I, I personally don't think either of those needed to be answered the way they were. But I think there's plenty of room for good people to disagree over that um, with everyone agreeing that the way we did leave was absolutely 100% not the way it needed to happen. Um, but it's interesting. I, I will leave it for history to decide if how, how that played out and what the second and third order effects of that withdrawal are, you know, when it comes to Ukraine and any aggression we're seeing. In the South I, I think we are seeing, I think 100% we're seeing that now. Yeah. And then on the, yeah. also is the fact that, you know, how hard is it going to get to be, that's one thing that surprised me about this current situation is, you know, I thought it would be a lot diff, more difficult to get allies to line up shoulder to shoulder with us because of what happened in Afghanistan. Now, maybe that's because nobody's shooting at anybody yet on our side. Um, but that's, that's the other impact that I see is, I mean, why would, not to mention people in country, you know, look at the way we treated the, the translators and those folks that, yeah. that, that risked their lives and their families' lives to support us. And, you know, at some point, um, they're not going to join anymore because we just don't have the reputation of backing our friends and, and our promises are no longer good. And that hurts. That will hurt for generations, probably. I think that's right, with the only exception being when they can't help but trust us because they have no other recourse, which mm -hmm. may be where Ukraine is right now, um, that <laughs> when friends are pretty scarce, then fine. You'll, you'll take the flaky United States if that's all you can get. True. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's. None of these are great options. And yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. One of the thoughts I had when you're talking about all the folks you talked to that were World War II vets and Korea vets, they're the last ones that have seen war the way we're seeing it in Ukraine. We really haven't seen war like that in a really long time. And that is in really interesting to me and why they're, their experiences and that experiential wisdom is incredibly valuable. Not to say that everybody should go take tactical lessons necessarily from them. That that ship has probably sailed at this point. Um, that's been a long time ago. But to see warfare on a personal level, and it's that kind of warfare, mm -hmm. I think is a really, um, that's a jarring moment. And I'm seeing that. I don't know if you're seeing that, but I'm seeing with journalists and folks that are out there now, they're going, whoa, this is not Iraq. This is not Afghanistan. This is a whole different animal. And, and we just haven't seen it in a while. 
Well, and and I think that that's been unfortunately that realization has been a little too slow in coming for many folks. You know, honestly, Chris, there's people out there who just God bless them don't believe there's evil in the world. Um, and you and your comrades know sure as hell there is. I mean, you've seen it face to face. You've smelled it. And that, to me, that's one thing that's interesting about this situation is a lot of the endeavors we've been involved in recently, there was never a real clear who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, because sometimes that changed. Like you said, you had to, you know, you had to develop different kind of allies depending on the situation. I mean, we're arming the Taliban this decade and we're fighting them next decade. Um, but in this case, I think it's pretty clear. And it should be clear to everybody. There is clearly a white hat and a black hat in this in this scenario. Now, I don't know if that will help, but um, maybe. May no, moral moral clarity is a, is a, a, a you know, it's helpful. It's helpful because we do need that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, it's probably too soon for me even to try to speak on Ukraine. I've got too many mixed emotions. It's funny. That's why we did a, at Vet Rep, we did a, a poetry reading about Ukraine. And I kind of said at the time, I was like, I feel more comfortable doing this than punditry on Ukraine right now because it's still too in solution. And I feel like it, 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 sometimes art is about the only truth you can find when everything else is still too unknown. And I feel that sort of, you know, vis-a-vis your show as well, because you deal with personal stories. And sometimes that's the only truth you can know right now. You might not be able to take away great strategic implications or geopolitical plays that need to be made, but, but, you know, sometimes the most important truth is that individual warfighters experience. And regardless of politically where you come down or strategically what you believe would work, um, that sometimes has the best currency, I think. Well spoken. Very well spoken. Glad you said that. Well, I think that's the service you do. I, I really do. I think that's you shine a light on that, and that's incredibly worthwhile um, for that reason, among many others. But certainly, my wife is not going to let me ever come on the show again because I'm going to be so conceited after. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad we'll have an impact in the home that way. Um, that's what we strive for. Listen, <laughs> dude, you you you've been incredibly generous, and I I know you take an awful lot of hours each week with. Uh, American Warrior Radio. I, I don't want to have you do you know any more time, take any more time away from your wife and your family uh, today. But it's a pleasure, Ben, and thank you for doing what you do. It is a service. It does mean a ton, and you know you always got friends here. I, that means a great deal to me, Chris. Thank you, and and to all the folks listening to this podcast or reading the Havoc Journal again, just let me know what you think. You know, I'm, I'm flying blind here in many cases, so but I'll keep doing what I'm doing until someone says, hey, stop. That was Ben Bueller Garcia's profile in Havoc. I uh, was so glad to have Ben on the show, um, and I thank him for having had us on his, but it's great to have each other's backs. Um, you know, he's built a platform that really a lot of us are following in his wake, and um, I know we get very granular in the episode talking about radio stuff and podcasting and metrics and all that. But I think it's important, you know, for me, for all of us to kind of be aware of how the sausage is made and how much effort it is for somebody like Ben who could easily 
you know, stick to his J job and not reach out and not do this for no material benefit. Um, but the fact that he um, is kind of out there advocating for us, even when sometimes we get tired of advocating for ourselves, is really something. And it's worth having his back. So go check him out if you haven't already. AmericanWarriorRadio.com. That's where you can always find him, regardless of where you are in the country. American Warrior Radio, all one word. Dot com, AmericanWarriorRadio.com. And check out the show notes. We'll have all of his social in there, all of his links. Give him a follow. See what he's up to. His guests are truly interesting people. Um, and he has the added benefit of sometimes even being able to pull him into the studio, which is like cheating, because then you get a whole different kind of interview, as you guys heard us talk about. So um, check him out. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, I started this episode by thanking our sponsor, Second Mission Foundation. I would now like to thank our other sponsor, the Veterans Repertory Theater. Veterans Repertory Theater exists to produce veteran playwrights and celebrate veterans in the arts. It is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events, which, of course, all this full disclosure is my nonprofit. Uh, Veterans Repertory Theater produces the Savage Wonder podcast, Savage Wonder Literary Blog, the Right Loud events on Instagram Live, a um, whole host of stuff. Check out what's going on at vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. And I thank them, myself, well, whatever. I thank, I thank VetRep for sponsoring this episode as well. I should also just give a little caveat. This is kind of combining some housekeeping with this ad, um, you guys may notice that my voice, I don't know. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but my voice to me sounds a lot hoarser and worn out. And it's because I am a little hoarse and worn out and jacked up. Uh, the past five days, I've been um, a mess physically just because I'm running around doing a bunch of stuff, trying to launch the Savage Wonder Festival. And we launched yesterday. So um, that weight is kind of lifted. It was a great weight to have. I was so excited to be able to get this done, but it's that kind of Christmas morning enthusiasm, but for five days straight. So it's a lot of you stress, not a lot of distress, but even so, uh, definitely uh, you know, my voice, I can tell, is suffering. And hopefully it doesn't detract from your enjoyment of the episode. But I do want to take a minute and tell you guys about the Savage Wonder Festival because it is going to be freaking awesome. So the concept for it is that, you know, Christmas isn't just about the presents. Memorial Day isn't just about kicking off your summer, right? It's supposed to be about celebrating those that have died for our freedoms and died to protect this country. But I get why people don't spend that much time, you know, thinking about it and, and you know, navel-gazing over that on Memorial Day weekend, not just because the sun's out, but because it's it's a drag. It's tough. It's tough to willingly force yourself to kind of go into the mode of awake. And I know around here in Orange County, New York, there's a lot of uh, a lot of municipalities have Memorial Day celebrations um, that are great. They're perfectly appropriate and reverent, um, spirited, um, and then quick and, and they're done with it. You know, um, take an hour or so and, and move on. And that's as it should be. In many respects, I wanted to bring a different uh, aspect to it and maybe amplify Memorial Day a little bit more. 
And I thought the best way to do that is to get veterans in the arts and let's really have a celebration of those that have gone on. So not awake, not, uh, you know, drag your head in the dirt and, and, and cry for, you know, 12 straight hours, but rather a celebration of it so that it is, you know, festive and we are kicking off summer, but we're also doing it reverently. And we're also doing it with a sense of honor for those that have gone on. Um, and so what we've done, you know, is two parts. One, I brought in a lot of veteran artists. So we've got folks like, you know, uh, Roman Baca, who you guys may have heard me talk about before, who was a uh, professional dancer who joined the Marine Corps, went to Fallujah, was a machine gunner, and then came back and has been an award-winning dance choreographer since. So he'll be there with his Exit 12 dance company. We'll have bands like Jericho Hill, Major Glenn. We'll have Jesus Daniel Hernandez, who was a Seaburn specialist, goes to Iraq, comes back, is prepping to go on his second Iraq deployment when he goes and sees Placido Domingo in San Antonio, goes back and meets him. Placido Domingo has him sing for him and says, you need to come study under me in my program. It's like a two-year program and impossible to get into. And he like handpicks him to go into that program. Uh, just incredible stories, um, incredible background of so many of these guys. So it's gonna have, we're going to have these veteran musicians. We're going to have artists, um, veteran artists. We'll have veteran poets, veteran uh, actors, veteran uh, – what else? Uh, I know I'm forgetting stuff. Uh, well, veteran dance. I said that, right? And, um, yeah, tons of music. We have frontline arts that are going to be there. They do this – really crazy cool artistic stuff where they take military uniforms and they treat them and and basically manufacture them into paper that then you do they do artwork on and these are and they do workshops it's veterans that do these workshops and they do them for other veterans and teach them how to do it and it has a lot of therapeutic benefits but it also just has a great artistic benefit i mean it's just beautiful stuff and these very delicate fragile unique perfectly unique pieces of paper. Anyway, it's all this kind of stuff. It's crazy cool stuff um, that is, you know, we're kind of trying to make it like a Lollapalooza for veterans in the arts. Like we really want this to be just a very cool thing that really um, everybody wants to come to. And even if they're not into the whole veteran thing, they're going to come for the art and for the music and for the dance and for, you know, the spectacle. And if they are into veterans, awesome. Then you're going to enjoy it even more. So uh, that's all cool, but we also wanted to make sure that we were doing something um, for the area. So we picked three beneficiaries uh, that are local veterans nonprofits in Orange County, uh, Clear Path for Veterans, Blue Star Families, and YIT Foundation. And these are just unbelievable um, nonprofits in Orange County um, and in Clear Path and Blue Star's case, they actually go uh, across the state. Blue Star is a New York chapter of a national um, veterans nonprofit. Um, each of them are, are just exceptional. And the fact that the proceeds are going to go to them and us, we're going to split it evenly uh, amongst us is just very exciting. So it's a great chance to get out, have a great time, and materially affect veterans in needs and military families in need and all that that those uh, organizations help. So what else are we going to do, right? I mean, we're an arts organization. We're, we're not going to be 
you know, driving veterans to get their meds or helping out with veteran homelessness or anything like that. But these folks are, and um, the least we can do is have their back and raise money for them and um, shine a light on them. So it's going to be very, very cool. It will be in Chester, New York, beautiful Chester, New York, upstate New York, the heart of the Hudson Valley. Um, Certainly New York has a great history of arts festivals. And so it seems like upstate New York, if you haven't been up here before, it's worth it. Um, It's it's a very cool place where it's, uh, it's not the city, just a very different vibe but a very rich veteran community and a very rich arts community. So to bring both of those together is I think going to be very, very cool. And um, again, I'm talking a lot about it because it's the end of the episode. And if you didn't want to listen to this, you kind of already heard Ben talk. So what's the point, but um, you can always check out all this stuff and shortcut my filibuster by going to savagewonder.com. Could be an easier website to access savagewonder.com all one word, savagewonder.com. And uh, yeah, check out what's going on there. But uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other major bullet points that I should say about it. I don't think there are, but uh, check it out. I'll have a lot more to say about it in weeks to come. Uh, just keep telling you guys more and more things about it. Oh, huh. Important thing. I can't remember when this episode's going to drop. I think this episode, yeah, you know something? At this point, you guys missed the free tickets. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized this episode is going to drop after the the, the tickets uh, are no longer free. Um, but go there now because the tickets do increase in price every couple of weeks. So um, for obvious reasons, you know, we're trying to get people there. We want people, it's you know, to commit. Um, we want to keep it at an affordable price point, but we want to make sure that you know we're getting folks there. So go check it out. Um, when you do hear this episode, when it does drop. Um, I believe the time frame that's in the ch- tickets are still going to be incredibly cheap. So go check out savagewonder.com, jump on the tickets, and um, we look forward to seeing you there. Okay. If you haven't already uh, subscribed to this podcast, go ahead and do that. If you're on iTunes, you know we'd love your five-star review. I think I've said all there is to say. I know I've talked on and on and on, but who cares, right? It's the end of the episode. You don't care at this point. Unless you're driving and you just can't. You don't have the manual dexterity to reach over and like hit the next episode or go to something else and you're just driving and you're like, son of a bitch, this asshole will not shut the hell up and I've got to sit here and listen to him until the episode ends. <laughs> Sorry. As I said, I'm sleep deprived and I'm filibustering. It's a dangerous combination. So thanks for bearing with me. Um, but I'll wrap this up uh, with a big thank you to our producer, Mike Neal. And I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Ben Bueller Garcia. We'll see you next time for another Profile in Havoc.